This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Pretty cool. Uh, we had some technical difficulties there, but uh, but we wanted to show that today because you know we had we had three young people from our own church, uh, Salvatore and Lily and, and Brooke, that were baptized. God's working among students around the world, and, and in this video you see he's working in the Ukraine, um, and that ministry there again that's that's funded by by what we give uh, through uh, Lottie Moon, and so we'll have a chance to do that at the end of the service. Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. If you are new with us, um, we are doing a special uh, Advent series from the book of Ruth. There are four chapters in Ruth, and they kind of correspond to the four Sundays of, of Advent. Uh, last Sunday, we focused on hope, and today, peace. Next week, uh, joy. And then in week four, uh, Love, And so um, the book of Ruth really in kind of a beautiful way points toward the birth of David and then the birth of the Messiah who comes from the line of David, our Lord Jesus. And so we're going to look at the second chapter of Ruth today as we focus on um, peace and um, we featured something last week we'll continue to do, and that is uh, in your bulletin, we've got the outline to the message on the back and some blanks that you can fill in um, as, as we walk through the message. Also, as you lead today, we've got some special outreach cards uh, for the series on Ruth and also for our Christmas Eve service that you can give to family or friends or just put in places where you think people uh, will pick them up as we just want to reach out to our community uh, here at Christmas. So let's look at the second chapter of Ruth. I'm going to actually be reading from the, the Christian Standard Bible uh, today, the CSB. If you're using an ESV or NIV, you'll have zero trouble uh, following along with me. But let's look at Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field. And don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you, so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? 
Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, the, ma- the name of the man I work with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabitess said, he also told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with this female servant so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray together. Father, today we, we, we pray in, in the words of an old Anglican prayer that what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. By your grace and for your glory, it's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You know, one of the most awe-inspiring scenes in the Christmas story has got to be the scene that takes place in the fields outside of Bethlehem, when that multitude of angels appears to the shepherds and announces the birth of Christ. And Luke 2, and verses 13 and 14, tell us about that scene. It says, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. You know, but peace is sort of an elusive thing. And even in our own lives, we, we struggle to have the shalom, the, the peace of God. And maybe that's part of our problem. Maybe we're doing too much struggling and not enough trusting. As we saw last week in chapter one, life was a struggle for Naomi. That chapter began when, uh, when Naomi and her husband Elimelech left the promised land, left Bethlehem 
to go in search of greener pastures in wicked pagan Moab. And so instead of trusting God to provide for them in the land where he had placed them, they struck out on their own to try to provide for themselves. But there in Moab, their, their dreams just came undone, just imploded, just collapsed. And that began when Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And that was compounded by the death of both of her sons. And so Naomi was left in a foreign land as a widow with no one but her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Well, Naomi hears that there's food again in Bethlehem, and so she's going to go back to her hometown. And at first, Ruth and Orpah are going with her, but at a point in time, Naomi stops and she says to her daughters-in-law, she says, there is no hope with me. Don't even bother coming back with me. There's nothing for you in Bethlehem. Now go back to your people. Go back to your gods in Moab. And so one of them, Orpah, takes her up on that, and she leaves. But the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, clings to Naomi. Because Ruth has come to place her faith in the one true God of Israel. And so Ruth says to her mother-in-law, no, I'm going with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And the chapter closes, chapter one closes with Naomi and Ruth coming into Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And what we're going to see is that in these harvest fields, God is going to do some amazing things. Today, we're focused on his peace. And we're going to see three things here that enable us as his children to experience the peace of God. First of all, the peace of God's providence. The peace of God's providence. Now, when we speak about the the providence of God, we're talking about how God is at work in all of the events of our lives as his children. We're talking about how God is causing circumstances and events in our lives, how he's in control of all of these things and causing them to work for our good and his glory. And we see that in some incredible ways here in in chapter 2. Let's kind of walk through it. Verses 1 and 2. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, go ahead, my daughter. So in the Old Testament, in his law, God had constructed certain safety nets for the poor. And and one of these safety nets was that he had commanded Israelite farmers to allow uh, poor people, immigrants, people like that, 
to, to come behind the reapers and to sort of gather scraps, the, the grain that had, had fallen uh, behind them. So that's what's going on here. But, but Ruth's question, you know, she kind of proactively asks Naomi, hey, can I go and, and, and glean behind the reapers? That speaks to her character. Because this was hard work, it was hot work, and for a single immigrant woman like Ruth, it could potentially be dangerous work. Verse 3, so Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Isn't it remarkable how when you walk with the Lord, a lot of stuff just happens? (laughs) Um, We see here that uh, Ruth just happens to be in the portion of the field where she is going to cross paths with Boaz. Literally here, the the, the Hebrew says, as chance chanced. Well, the writer of Ruth, you can better believe, he he writes that with a smile and with a chuckle because he knows this is not something that happens by chance. He knows this is by the design of a sovereign God. And if you are a child of God, your life is not left up to chance. No, your life is held in the hands of a God who loves you and who is in control of the events of your life, and who is causing everything to work together for your good and for his glory. Let's look at at verse four. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Now we get a hint into the character of Boaz, don't we? What do we see here about Boaz? Boaz is a man of God. A single man of God. And in the the harvest fields of Bethlehem, he is going to meet a a single, God-fearing immigrant woman from Moab and love is going to blossom and a marriage is gonna take place and a baby is going to be born, and that baby is going to be named Obed, and Obed is going to be the father of Jesse, and Jesse is going to be the father of King David, from whose line will come the Davidic Messiah, Jesus, who will be born in the city of David, Bethlehem. You see, God is providentially just working all of these things, putting all of these pieces together. And listen to me, you may not understand what's happening in your life, and maybe you're here today carrying a lot of burdens, and maybe there's some things happening in your life, and you can't make sense of it, and you can't understand how how God is at work in all of this. Let me just encourage you today. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said that when you can't trace God's hand, trust his heart. We can't always trace the hand of God. We can't always understand what's happening as it is happening. Trust the heart of God. He loves you. He makes no mistakes. He's in control 
of the events of your life and he's causing all of it to work together for your good and his glory. That's his providence. And there's a peace in knowing that, isn't it, right? And so there's the peace of God's providence. Second, we see in this chapter the peace of God's protection. The peace of God's protection. Let's check out verses five through seven. Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. In other words, uh, in answer to Boaz's question, who is this young woman? Uh, they answer, ah, oh, you know, she's just some foreigner. You know, she came back from Moab with Naomi, but she sure has an incredible work ethic. <laughs> well, as it turns out, Boaz has already heard something about Ruth's character. This is a small town. And so Boaz has already heard that Naomi has come home and that one of her daughters-in-law from Moab has come with her and he's heard about how this daughter-in-law is incredibly devoted to uh, to Naomi and how she's just loved her with a self-sacrificing love. Uh, Boaz has heard all of this about Ruth, but until this moment, he's never met Ruth. And now Boaz speaks his first words to Ruth, verses eight and nine. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. So, uh, so Boaz here speaks very tenderly to Ruth, he addresses her as daughter, which was like a, a tender term of endearment. And then he promises uh, protection for her against sexual predators, against potential sexual assault that could occur in these fields. Now just imagine how this must have hit Ruth. I mean, imagine going to a country. Ruth, Ruth has gone, she's come to a country where she knows no one. She's from Moab, which is like an ancient enemy of Israel. You know, she's come from a completely different culture. She's come into Bethlehem. She doesn't know anybody but Naomi. She's in an incredibly vulnerable situation. Widows in general were in an incredibly vulnerable situation in a culture like this and they could be preyed on in all sorts of ways. And just imagine how Boaz's gracious words would have, would have struck Ruth. And we see her reaction here in verse 10. It says she fell face down bowed to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor with you so that you notice me although I am a foreigner? You know, we live in times when 
the foreigner, the outsider, is being demonized. Not only in our country, but around the world. Just read a study a couple of weeks ago about the attitudes of people in Europe, the rise of anti-Semitism, uh, prejudice against Muslims, against immigrants in Europe, and, and, and even here. And listen, we're not talking, we're not wading here into politics or, or into uh, immigration law. I mean, obviously we, we know there have to be laws governing how people come into our country, and that can be complex. But I'll tell you what's not complex. What is crystal clear, in fact, and that is how God's people are to regard those who sojourn among us. Look at what God's word says again and again and again and again. What does God tell us in his law? Leviticus 19 and verses 33 and 34 says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Again, Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. This is the very law that Boaz is obeying. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Again, in Deuteronomy 10, verses 18 and 19, it says, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Again, Exodus 23, 9, God says, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. And speaking of Egypt, what happens after the birth of Christ? Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus have to do what? They have to flee, flee, flee to Egypt as refugees because of the slaughter of infants in Bethlehem. You know what that means? It means that our Lord and Savior and his family were refugees. Now let that sink in. And furthermore, when we read the Gospels, who are the very people who are gravitating most to the ministry of Jesus? It's the poor. It's the outcast. It's the outsider. It's women. It's people who are marginalized in that culture. And they gravitated to him because Jesus loved these people with a love that they typically didn't experience from other people. And that's the love that we are to have for people today that typically don't get much love from anyone else. And if your version of Christianity does not include that kind of love for the lowly, check your version of Christianity, because it ain't biblical. Verses 11 and 12. Boaz answered her, 
Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Wow. This is so beautiful. Psalm 91 and verse four says, he will cover you with his feathers. You will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. Listen, have you come under the shelter of the one true God? Have you come under the shelter of his protection? Or are you still out there trying to do life your way on your own? Have you come under the shelter of his wings that has been provided by the shed blood of Jesus? and by his resurrection from the dead. Friend, there's a shelter. There's a shelter of salvation. There's a shelter of rescue. The shed blood of Christ and his resurrection has made that shelter possible. Come under it. Quit trying to do life on your own outside of his protection. No, come underneath his wings. Jesus says, come. The peace of God's protection. Third, the peace of God's provision. The peace of God's provision. Verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. Listen, the joy that millions of people around the world feel when, they get a, when they're able to eat a, a meal that, is, that actually satisfies them, it, it's hard for us to even relate to. We can't relate to it. We who live in a country where we have as many meals a day, most of us, as we want, and snacks in between, who have more than what we need, and it's hard for us to even relate to this. There are millions of people around the world for whom a full meal is just an incredible blessing. In a few moments, we're going to have the opportunity to, to give toward the feeding of people, most of all the feeding of empty souls who have little or no access to Christ, but along with that for millions of people, there's the love that our missionaries are showing in physical ways as well. Every time we bow our heads and say grace, we should be mindful of what we have been given. Verses 15 and following. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered and it was about 26 quarts of barley. In other words, this is a super abundance. It's enough to feed her and Naomi for weeks. Verses 19 and 20. 
her mother-in-law said to her, where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you, Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with and said, the name of the man I work with today is Boaz. Verse 20. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, the man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Let's note a couple of things here in verse 20. First of all, the word kindness. It's the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed is a beautiful word. It, it combines the concept of both love and commitment. The hesed of God is God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. It's based on him, not us. It's God's faithfulness to his own promises. And see, the heart of Naomi is beginning to soften here. Naomi is beginning to understand that she has badly misread things. You remember in chapter one, she was very bitter. She was blaming God, all of that. And Naomi is beginning to understand, no, I I wasn't seeing clearly The truth is that God had not abandoned me. No, God's been faithful. God's been faithful to his promises. And that hesed love of the Lord, that kindness of the Lord is is, is reflected through Boaz. He's reflecting the hesed, the kindness, the steadfast love of the Lord. The other thing that we see here in verse 20 is that, that Bo, she says Boaz is one of our family redeemers. Some translations translate this as kinsman uh, redeemer. So what's this all about? Well, this is yet another safety net that God had set up for the most poor and the most vulnerable people. And it was this. Within every family, there would be these 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 men who had been designated as, as family redeemers. And so what that meant is that if a member of the family fell into dire straits, like if they were destitute, they were about to be sold into slavery, something like that, if they fell into some dire strait, then, then the, those who had been designated to be family redeemers had a, a legal and moral obligation to intervene on their behalf. But here's the thing about Boaz. Um, Boaz is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. But he's not such a close relative that he was legally obligated to redeem in this circumstance. There were all kinds of loopholes that he could have used to get out of this. But see, Boaz is a man of God. Boaz is not interested in obeying the letter of the law, but it's the spirit of the law, which is what? It's love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Boaz is going, even though he's not legally obligated, Boaz is going to act in the spirit of the Redeemer. And in doing so, his love is going to point to a greater redeemer. Check out verse 22. 
So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, my daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. At one level, Naomi is simply saying to Ruth, don't go into another field where you could potentially be sexually assaulted. But there's something deeper going on here. What happened in chapter one? What kicked off everything? Rather than trusting God to provide for them in Bethlehem, Elimelech and Naomi did what? They went into another field, the fields of Moab. And so in a way here, Naomi is saying to Ruth, don't make the same mistake that I did. Don't go into another field. Trust God to provide for you there. Listen, some of our most foolish decisions in life occur when we fail to trust God to provide. Verse 23, Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is how chapter two closes. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now remember last week we talked about the fact that the writer of the book of Ruth is a master storyteller. <laughs> and what's, what's he highlighting here? By finishing this chapter, I say, and she lived with her mother-in-law. What's being highlighted? She doesn't have a husband. And what prospects does she have for one? In this culture, listen, to, to be a single woman, it's hard for us to understand how vulnerable that would make you. And so this is highlighting the fact. Ruth is still, she's a single woman widow, an immigrant widow. She's still living with her mother-in-law. It's highlighting the fact that she doesn't yet have a husband. And what prospects does she have for one? She's a Gentile. She's from Moab, a traditional enemy of Israel. I mean, what hope does she have? <laughs> we'll find out in chapter three. <laughs> We have a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. But there's something else going on here. There's a clock that's ticking. There's a redemptive clock that's ticking that you will not see on the surface here. And it's this. So what time of the year do Ruth and Naomi arrive in Bethlehem? Well, you know, it was the beginning of the grain harvest. That was Passover. What did they celebrate at Passover? They celebrated the fact that, that God has taken his people from a foreign land back to the promised land. And so Naomi and Ruth have, have moved from this foreign land. They're moving to the promised land. It's sort of an exodus for them. But then what? By the end of chapter two, we've come to the end of the grain harvest, six, seven weeks later. And what was that on the Jewish calendar? That 
was Pentecost. That's when they celebrated the Feast of Weeks. Part of the Feast of Weeks was something called the Festival of the First Fruits. That was when as the harvest was coming in, the, the farmers would take the first fruits, the first part of the harvest, and there would be a special celebration around the first fruits because the first fruits were the guarantee that the remainder of the harvest was coming in. Ruth, in a way, is like a first fruits. Because what did God promised way back in Genesis to Abraham said I'm going to create a special people through you and my purpose in blessing you and creating this special people Israel is not so that all of my blessings are going to terminate on you no I'm creating this people the special people, not to be sort of a cul-de-sac, but a channel of my blessing to the rest of the world. And so what does God say to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3? He says, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let all the peoples praise you, right? In other words, he's saying that through Israel, I'm going to bless, it's not, bless not just Jewish people, but Gentiles, every tribe and tongue. Ruth as a Gentile is one of these first fruits. And what is God going to eventually do at this time of year, at Pentecost? He is going to pour out his spirit so that the gospel will be used in the power of the Holy Spirit to open the hearts of people from all over the world. People from all over the world are gathered in Jerusalem. All these, all these tribes and tongues gathered and the Spirit of God is poured out. And people from all these nations come to Christ and then they go out with that message to the nations. The Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid says this, Ruth's incorporation by faith into God's people was a foreshadowing of the much greater harvest that God one day would reap among the Gentiles as his grace extended more fully to the nations. In a few moments, we get to take place in this drama of redemption. A drama that begins with God's promise to Abraham in Genesis a drama that continues through the harvest fields of Bethlehem, a drama that continues as Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the city of David, a drama that will be culminated around the throne of God as people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation gather together and sing praises to Jesus. And the remarkable thing is that we get to be a part of this drama Listen, we saw it in Romans. 
whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call upon one in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe in one of whom they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? And how can they go and tell them unless they are sent? Today as we give, we get to be part of that sending. As we hold ropes for others to go. We're a rope-holding church, a sending church. We're a praying church as we pray for what God is doing among the nations. We're a going church as some have the opportunity to go. And all of that combines to be part of the story, the most important story that God is writing in this world, the story of redemption. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be a part of the incredible things that you are doing around the world. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus that was given for us, that was given for our our rescue, our salvation. And Father, as we're aware of the fact that there are billions of people around the world with little or no access to the good news of Christ, Lord, we want to empower others to be able to go. And so, Lord, as as many of us now give toward uh, this special offering for that very purpose, we pray that you would use what is given um, to touch, to share the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would use what is given to enable uh, missionaries to be sent to the nations and, and that while there, that they would be reflections of your love to the last, the least, and the lost, they would boldly proclaim the gospel and that you would draw people to yourself through the proclamation of the gospel that we would join together one day with people that have been touched by the very things that we give this day, that we will be able to join with brothers and sisters one day and together praise you forever. Bless this time for our church family. Bless the nations, but Lord, may this be an incredible blessing for us as we have the opportunity to, to give. And Lord, may we see that we could never outgive you, that you are able to abundantly provide for us to be able to give in this way. We thank you, Lord, for the incredible blessings that we enjoy, Lord, in this country, uh, not only economically, but the access that we have to the gospel. And Lord, you tell us to whom much is given, much will be required. And so, Lord, as you have been faithful to us, Lord, make us faithful today to give. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, 
I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.